Hey folks, we're back here. Uh, very excited to be in the ground floor with uh, my main man, Representative Chris Tuck. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing? Pretty good. My representative. You're, I'm proud to be your representative. You, uh, we have a long history, so we want to talk a lot about that. But before the last redistricting, you were also my representative. But before that, uh, my senator was Kevin Meyer. So you lost back in 2012, or I guess 20. It took a while to get it. I lost. You lost. No, your district. You lost oh, half your district. Mm-hmm. You yeah. didn't lose. Yeah, yeah. No, my district did change quite a bit. They narrowed me in and moved me further north. So, but you you you, re- you retained me. So they said we're we're keeping you with Landfield. Um. So let's go back about I guess seven years. Twenty. I originally filed to run for office when I was a young man, and I I said I'm running for the House because back then I was hooked up with some kind of people who said, the oh, Democrats are the enemy, right? And I'm running against Chris Tuck. So, so I filed a run against you. Didn't ever meet you. I've never met you before. And then I finally met you at one of the community council meetings. Do you, yeah. do you remember this? I distinctly remember that community council. Because I was probably a bit of a dick, I think, wasn't I? You, well, you had a yellow notebook, and it was full of all sorts of notes, and you were firing off a lot of questions. And eventually, the uh, community council president at that time was Jeff Mittman. He says, hey, you mind, uh, you know... Uh, uh, we got to keep the meeting going. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind uh, you guys, you know, talking afterwards? I said, yeah, I'd be more than happy to stay afterwards. And then that's when you introduced yourself as uh, someone who was running. So I'm Jeff, you. I'm running against you. And you were like, fuck you, man. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, what, you run as a Democrat? Remember I asked that? <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, well, you got two other people you got to run against before you get to me because you had a primary election. Um, so and you're like, no way, I'm not running as a Democrat. And it's funny because I ended up switching um, to run in the, for the Senate. Um, and then we kind of became... Came buddies. Well, we got to know each other on the so campaign the, trail. Oh, and the community. Well, that, and then the community council. Mm-hmm. Um, I was president for a couple of years, and then you you were um, always at the meetings, or you'd call in from Juno. Um, but, in fact, we have one coming up uh, t- tonight. Uh, it is tonight, isn't it? Yeah, yes. I haven't really been invo- that involved. In re- I was in Australia, and since I got back, but it's it's interesting because that council before you know we go back five or six or seven years, it was always maybe five or six people. I mean, sometimes it was more. You know, assembly, if you count the assembly people and you, it was more elected officials than people were at the meeting. Mm-hmm. But then when the marijuana thing kicked off because of the King Street area where all the cultivation is. Yes, we're in the I mean, Green District. Yeah, the Green the green Mile. They they started, uh, we had one meeting where there was like friggin' 60 people there. Mm-hmm. And it was it was people, you know, trying to get licenses. It was people who were concerned about it. So that, that um, council really, Taco Campbell. Taco Campbell. So let's talk about, so you ra- you ran for that seat. Uh, I guess twice before you ended up um, winning, right? That's correct. I started. I decided in 2003 I was going to run for the 2004 election, and uh, then I uh, lost that election. People said there's no way, you know, um, a Democrat's going to win that district. As a matter of fact, I met with Joe McKinnon. He was uh, a former House representative that was on the redistricting committee, and um, um, he said, "Hey, sorry, Chris. You know, we put all the." Um, riffraff in this small area that you're living in so we can win elections around that. Sorry, Never buddy. expecting anyone to, to want to run as a Democrat in that area. And then I also uh, met with uh, Tom Begich, who's now Senator Tom Begich, and he was also paired up with Joe McKinnon on the redistricting plan and everything else. And he said there was no way, he didn't think there was a way that a Democrat was going to win that area for another eight years. And at that time, I wasn't even registered as a Democrat. It took me 10 months to decide which party I was going to run under 
when I decided to run. Because your background, you're you're an electrician, right? You're an IBW journeyman? Yep, journeyman electrician. I taught at the apprenticeship school for many years and then uh, worked there at the Union Hall for I still need you to come years. install that generator. Remember when the power went out a couple, three or four years ago? Oh, yeah. That windstorm and... and uh, Good windstorm. That. Actually, that was, the, like, that was the same campaign we're on. That, and that was the one where, where I remember people... Because when I knock on doors, when I ran for the Senate twice, people would always, and I want to talk a little more about, about this and you being a Democrat, and that district actually leans Republican. There's 2.1 Republican, Republicans to one Democrat right. in the district when but, I first began running. But um, I had so many people, because I talked to Republicans, Republican super voters, because I was running in the primary, but I'd have all these Republicans all the time tell me, you're, you're not running against Chris Tuck, are you? Because I'm voting for Chris, Chris Tuck, you know, and I remember somebody, you helped them get their power back on over there on... Um, um, Probably Pearl Street, Pearl Street yeah, Pearl Street, Street yeah, because the whole th- block was out, mm-hmm. and then some other people. I um, just different stories about how you'd come help somebody with something, and um, it's like the retail, you know, politics. You, you, I think a lot of folks recognize you're really good at that, and hit the doors and and help people not with just political stuff, but something wrong with the road maybe, or there's a you know the power's out. Well, you know, I'm a people person, and what I love most about Alaska is the people of Alaska, and um, I want to give people faith in government once again and i'll tell you something i'll tell you another story we had um, 76th street being uh, redone between arctic and uh, the the close to minnesota and oh, i remember that, i remember that yeah when that project was being done people were rerouted on 75th street the trucks were rerouted on 75th street which beat up 75th pretty bad and uh, there was a gentleman there that uh, uh had had his home for like 30 years was one of the original owners uh in that neighborhood and he said hey they forgot to connect a sewer line and uh because they forgot to connect that sewer line his his uh bathtub was filling up his whole um all of his uh with sewage sinks with sewage back up oh with sewage God. and he said uh i can't even live in the place and he had made several contacts at awwu and trying to get this fixed and unfortunately and i say this is unfortunate because it should not require uh, a representative to give a call to AWWU for something to happen. But I made one phone call to AWWU um, that evening. The next morning, they were at his house at 8 o'clock you, in the do morning you find to that, fix it. Do you find that sometimes, you know, when a citizen calls somebody for something, it's like whatever, but when you call, not just you, but a representative or a senator calls, do you find that that just totally changes the response? It did in this, always it did, or not, not always. Not always. It did in this situation. I was surprised how much it did in this situation. And the guy was right. And uh, unfortunately, he wasn't treated well until I made the phone call. And then he was. This is Chris Tuck, baby. Well, this is a representative. I don't know if it was even <laughs> particular, um, but you know, I still get parking tickets. So, so you ran twice, and and the guy you ran against actually, Ralph Samuels, uh, is kind of like a little like you. I mean, very friendly, hardworking guy, and people generally very much liked Ralph. So it was kind of hard, probably hard to run against Ralph because. One, he was a Republican district, and two, he was, uh, you know, a pretty hardworking guy when he went door to door. Yeah, Ralph, uh, Ralph, and I would run, run into each other as we're door knocking. He'd always tease me, "Hey, you know, you should be running Republican in this district. You know, you should be running Republican." <laughs> and uh, and then uh, at the end of the campaign season, um, we would split up the district. He'd go pick up um, his signs and my signs, and I go pick up my signs and his. Yeah, signs. No, I, I did a podcast with Ralph actually uh, a few weeks ago. It was a good good podcast. Um, so. I want to talk a little bit about so you so you ran twice and lost and you you weren't going to run again right that was kind of you decided you weren't going to necessarily run again against Ralph but then something happened right with that yeah that was really it was really bizarre and I, I want you to tell that story well what happened is um, uh, I did get elected to the school board and um, 
uh, I had a friend of mine, Bronson Fry, that uh, is, uh, wanted to run in the district, and uh, people were really pressuring him pretty hard to run. And I said, hey, Bronson, here's the deal. Um, just commit what you can commit. Because he wanted to have the experience. He wanted to be able to... Uh, as a de- Democrat, right? As a Democrat, yeah, run. And I said, yeah, and, and, and don't let people talk you into doing more than what you're willing to do. Make it a fun experience. And that's, that, I think that's the key to campaigns is have a good time. Because as soon as you stop having a good time, things start falling apart. So I just said, just dedicate what you can dedicate. Do what you can. We'll build a campaign plan around that. And so then at that time, there was a Randy Roosevelt that was running also. And I think there was a, a third person. And, and then... Um, this is um, 07, 08, right? 08 election? This is 08 election. Yeah. And then what happened was uh, Ralph Samuels had filed to run. And um, when they saw that I had not filed to run, then he decided to step out and Ron Jordan take his place. Actually, they both filed to run. But, but they had like a... De- uh, they had like a kind of a deal they made, right? It's sort of a deal, yeah, that was exposed in the Anchorage Daily News with an interview with Ron Jordan. Well, yeah, so, so, so what I remember is is they both filed, and then on June 2nd, or whatever, like right after the filing deadline, Ron basically spills the beans and says, like, I'm actually the guy, and Ralph's going to withdraw. Yeah, so... But, but, if, but they, it, the, the plan was to wait until right before the withdrawal deadline, right? Right, so, so if I were knew. to file, so if I were to file, and I always file at the last second, if I were to file, then... Um, um, Ralph Samuels was going to go ahead and continue to run, and then once he won, he would turn the seat over to Ron Jordan. Um, but since I didn't file, um, Ralph Samuels went ahead and stepped out, and Ron Jordan decided that he was going to. So then uh, you said, "You said, ooh, yeah, sort of." Wait a minute. <laughs> well, and then I told Ronson, "I said, all right, dude, this is your chance." And actually, at that time, um, I told Bronson, "I said, well, now." You need to run more than just for the experience. And he was in a primary. You need, you need too, to right? run to win, yes. And so he got through the primary, and then at that time he's um, uh, worked for the. Uh, well, he still does work for the uh, Painters and Allied Trades Union, and uh, they were being alchemated. The Fairbanks and Anchorage were both being alchemated together. So he did not have the capability to serve if he were to win, and that's when he says, "Hey, I need to step out," and then I decided to step in. So they, they, the party. Put- I replaced him with you at 4:58 and whatever that deadline was because yeah. we were both sitting in the parking lot waiting for the uh, um, the party chair at that time was Patty Higgins to show up to do the paperwork and uh, oh it got God. to be like 4:57 I go whoop looks like dude you're going all the way to the general election and then Patty showed up and then boom we were able to uh, um, so put so, me so, in then you, place. so you got in there and then you uh, you'd beat Ron and then I think you had by exactly 200 votes. So that was, that was an interesting election, too, because that's the year that uh, Barack Obama became president. And uh, I was interviewed that evening because I was ahead and um, on the news. And then the next morning, it looked like Ron Jordan was ahead. And then the absentees came in, and then I was able to pull it off with the absentees. Which is interesting, because normally absentees favor Republicans. I worked the uh, absentees work really the, hard. Yeah, no, those and, are- and remember, also, I had door knocked um, for two election cycles right, before yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I've I've knocked that district a lot because of this, it's half my Senate district. You know, it's it's you and Chuck Cop uh, before it was Craig Johnson. So um, I actually love twenty three, man. So twenty three is your district, and then twenty four is you know Cop <clears throat> and beautiful homes in twenty four. You got Bayshore, Ocean View, Southport. I mean, but twenty three is like kind of the working man's district. It's the working man's district. It's Taku, Campbell, Windermere subdivision. Um, we kind have diamond, diamond states. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, 
Yeah, no, it's all working class people. I've been invited into more homes to have a beer in 23 than way more than 23 and 24. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's the other thing, too, is uh, I get to know everybody. You know, I I love door knocking. Uh, It's one of my favorite things to do. I've uh, door knocked in the interim. And uh, this last year, I didn't get a chance. Actually, the last two years, I didn't get a chance to door knock in the interim as much as I would would like to because we had extended sessions in 2015. That and in 2017 too was the real. And in 2017 was a record. We were uh, 212 days yeah. in session. So and it, so so, but uh, uh, in 2017, Bernadette reminded me that. Uh, when I said, yeah, I didn't get a chance to door knock that much. He goes, well, every time you came back to Anchorage on your weekends, you were door knocking even on Easter weekend. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I was, I was So at thing. this point, you've, you've been there, what, 12, 12 years now, right? Or this is your this 12th is my 11th, year, 11th, 11th year. year. Uh-huh. So your sixth term. Um, and it's a pretty compact – I mean, a lot of Anchorage districts are like that. They're pretty – and plus, our, even our district is especially, like, very many single-family homes and, like, like long streets with – you know, it's pretty compact. Like, the hillside or even part of Southport area, it's like you'll walk, you know – three or four or five minutes between homes. So how many people do you just knock on the door and it's like, oh, hey, you know, Mark or hey, John or hey, Marsha? Quite a few over the years because I've been doing it so much. And um, I'm proud to say I've been doing it for 10 years. This would be my 11th year out, the, out of session. I've been doing my morning coffees. And I do that. Oh, Elam every, Cafe, right? Well, Elam Cafe now over at Cafe Vivace because Elam's no longer open at 7 a.m. But 7 to mm-hmm. 7.30. Actually, it was Cafe, uh, Cafe Vivace. They changed their name. They got bought out. It's now Cafe D'Arte. That's um, over there of uh, Diamond, right? Diamond yeah. and King. You got, you, I always talk, I mean, you got to you gotta do those suckers a little later, man, because I've been to like one of those. I'm like, I ain't getting up that early. Well, you know, I do stay longer. I mean, I, I have it scheduled from 7 to 7.30, but you'll find me there all the way to 9 because you, people- you, you had one a while back. I'm trying to remember. It was an afternoon one. And it was at Elam Cafe. And I don't know what was going on. It was something with, it was years ago. There was maybe a budget thing, but remember there was like 50 people there. It was like a big one. Something yeah. was happening. Maybe it was a town hall. Oil town tax, hall. It was it oil taxes maybe? It or? could have been. And, uh, you know, when I do my town hall meetings, it's whatever is happening at that time. And uh, typically it's the budget. And I see those folks and I'm like, I'm like, you can recognize all of them because they're all super voters and you know them from the door or you... You've seen them at like meetings. You kind of, rec- you know, they're kind of the usual suspects. may occasionally go to a community council meeting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So you've been here since 2009 you started. So you had, you had a little bit of Palin, right? Before she yep. before had, she left? I had uh, uh, one session with Palin. I'd say one and a half because I think it was that following September is when she decided to run for vice president. No, I think 2008 was the election. 2008 was my election. 010, I think, was no, no. the presidential election. Wasn't no, Sam, you're 08, yeah. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, so. But she stepped out, so. I think no, she I think so, he's, well, did part of that session. Oh, so no, I did a. Session. I must have had a full, full my term must have been a full term with her then. I can't remember. No, I think she left I remember in 08. No, 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 I think she, she left in end of 08, I think, like, part of, like, early session 09. So I think probably there was just a small overlap. To run for the 2012 election? No, 2008 was when she ran with McCain. I know, but I, that's when I got elected. No. You guys, you guys, same election when she ran and McCain ran and when you ran. So I think I think she stops her. I think she quit in end of '08 and oh, stopped, stopped oh, in like '09 okay. sometime. I'm gonna, I, yeah, I could look back. It's all jumbled but, uh, together. Yeah, now. it's all jumbled together. But I, I do remember her quitting, and I thought it was so she could run for vice president. But I no, guess, no, it was, it was after. I guess she did it. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, so so then Parnell took. So I mean, you've been through a lot of different with Chenault as a speaker, and then you were in the minority for a long time. But then last, I guess, election cycle, you guys took over the house and became the, you were the majority leader. Mm-hmm. So how was that going from minority for, for eight years to becoming majority leader? Well, um, all of a sudden you have like 
Like you're in, you're in charge instead of being the right. opposition. Well, one of the difficult things about having a coalition in the House is that everybody's up for re-election every other year. So typically, coalitions don't last in the House, and it's very hard to organize because you're dealing with uh, um, 40 members instead of 20 members. And you don't have that overlap like the Senate does because half of them run every other year. And there's only 10 that run every other year. Yeah, so House seats are two, year, two years and then the Senate four years. So it's, uh, so it's really difficult. But uh, the key is building relationships. And I think that's uh, um, one of the things that helped us get along over the years is just building relationships with people, getting to know people, finding common interests, and then coming up with solutions together so that when an opportunity came up for people to come together, which happened in 2016, and it had to do with the economy and jobs, um, we decided to put away party politics and to um, um, come together because, you know, Alaskans are tired of the partisanship that's been going on, especially at the national level, but it's getting bled into um, our local elections. And, uh, you know, just going back to the old days where Republican, Democrat didn't matter. Once people were elected, people did what's best for Alaska. So having Alaska first, I Mm -hmm. think, is what helped. So was that, you know, especially at the end... uh the budget and the permanent fund and the coalition was really pretty thin. It was 22 and then kind of 21. I mean, how hard was it towards towards the end when it was really down to the, I mean, the permanent fund issue was probably the, the biggest thing. Um, but I mean, because before when the Republicans for years with Chanel, they had 26, 30 people. So there was some room there, a little bit of wiggling room. Um, how difficult was it at the end when it was basically almost, almost no wiggling room? Well, I think one of the things that uh, you saw with this coalition is, is for the most part, we were united, united pretty strongly because um, the old majorities, you'd find like three different factions within the majorities were here. Yeah, they're so big. that yeah. They're so big, yeah. And, and it was pretty, yeah, it was very tight. It was very difficult. I just want to let you know. As the majority leader of a coalition of 22, it's not easy. And um, um, so it's a lot of dialogue, a lot of uh, working with others, a lot of problem solving, um, and uh, and I will say that uh, probably what made us unique is is uh, we didn't just tolerate one another. We genuinely like one another and and love working with one another. Well, I think you know that it was pretty evident to me after the last election, the the Republicans had their press conference the next day and kind of spiked the football, and a lot of people you know like who watched like myself were thinking this is really. Kind of, I mean, there wasn't really the numbers necessarily, and um, I watched over time, and I just, I just looked, at, kind of saw what happened, and, and you guys were able to really, I mean, if anybody would have, if more people would have gone over, you know, there would have been no possibility of the current coalition, and um, I think that probably, I'm guessing, stems from you guys were just kind of really united, the 19, right? Yeah, 19 For, of us standing together, and um, and we're just watching to see what's happening on their side, and I think what really um, brought things together. And I think Gary cannot realize, I mean, he realized there's no way that they were going to be able to stick together. And, uh, so he removed himself from the majority to get the dialogue going between both sides because he wanted to see something come together that will last and that will, will work together and that will be effective. Now it took us 34 days to get there. I think we set a record again. Um, this, yeah, you guys this got the record. Yeah, the got last one was 20, <laughs> I think 20 some days in 1981. Yeah. And so, however, after campaigns, you'll find that uh, people come into the building to get sworn in. It's uh, everybody's warm and friendly that first week, but then the second week people fall and slip back in their old ways Mm -hmm. or um, because of the campaign season just before that um, people villainize one another. 
And so what was unique about this year is not being organized is people ended up getting to know each other and and filling each other out and having dialogue and having discussion realize oh this person's not so bad oh this this person's actually i can work with and so it put people's guards down and it helped us discuss and what we would like to accomplish this session and how we're going to accomplish that so in many ways the reason why we're going so quickly with the budget subcommittee process and now the budget and we hope to have that on the floor next week is because of all the dialogue that we had and working together and you'll see that uh, we're probably more aligned now than we would have been had we just came so, in here and slammed and had a, a, a majority that was imposing on the minority and a minority sticking up for their rights and going through the committee process that way. So what was it like during that 30-some-day period where there wasn't an organization? I mean, that had never really happened before. I mean, the last time that happened was in early 80s. And it, at the end of it, did it get, I mean, it must have got really, really frustrating, I imagine, for, for everybody. But especially, I mean, you, you're probably playing a role in trying to organize or make it, make it happen. I mean, how, how frustrating did it get when everybody's like, fuck, you know, what are we going to, like, what are we doing? Yeah, no, it can get really frustrating. Um, it, this is a very dynamic organization. And I also joke around, it's one of the most adolescent organizations you'll ever be involved in. So you're dealing with people's uh, um, it's, egos. It's, it's so strange here how I, I just still am trying to get, understand the, the ecosystem here because you have people, like you said, they, they, they support somebody. They try to get somebody defeated they, they don't hold back publicly about their criticisms or dislike for somebody. And then all of a sudden they see him in here and they're like, hey, how are you? And they, they, they're like best friends. Mm-hmm. It's like no other industry or no other work environment do people, you know, so hard try to get somebody fired. Right. And then see him and, and like they're like buddies. I, mean, I think there's a lot of fakeness in this. I mean, not all of it, but there's fakeness in this building and then there's. There's kind of like some people are too fit. I mean, there's just different things that are happening, but it's hard for me to kind of grasp some of it. Like I know this person tried to get this person to feed. Everybody knows that. And and they see him and they're like, they're like, Hey, how are you? And it's like high fiving. Well, it's really easy to villainize somebody when you don't know them. And just like uh, me with you, I didn't know you. And I said, this guy is this and that. And then I get to know you and it's like, right. We're like buddies now. Yeah, no. And that, I think that naturally happens. And so I wouldn't say that this is fake. I would say that you just finally got a chance to know someone. And uh, so, but but then they're gonna, but then they're going to try to go beat him again, possibly next next possibly. Next cycle, I mean, that doesn't partisan, that, you know? that doesn't always happen. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes it, sometimes it appears that way because the parties are involved. But as individual um, representatives, I tip I typically don't get in somebody else's races and everything else and try to take somebody mm-hmm. out. You know, I just uh, I'll let them run on their own campaigns. But uh, uh, you know, if it's somebody I can work with, no matter what party they belong in, you know, I can you know work with them in the future. And I, th- I think that one of the things that uh, brought people together also is just having a, a com- common shared vision for Alaska. Now, I'm not saying that my vision is the vision for the state of Alaska, but I do have a vision for the state. I want to I turn uh, uh, Point McKenzie into the future industrial park of Alaska. That way we can start manufacturing physical goods with our natural resources trying to get right that, here. Trying to get that bridge or what? <laughs> well, the bridge will, ha- the bridge will come. But uh, if I fear you, that you, if we... You know that they first started talking... I didn't realize this. You know when they first started talking about that bridge? Probably the 60s or like, the like 100 years ago. <laughs> like, I mean, it goes way back. I wonder why they didn't decide to build the bridge down south, because I sure would like to be able to get to the Kenai River a lot quicker. Yeah, well, I mean, well, they, they, there's been talk about the other one, about because if you, if you were to go to Hope, it would cut down the... I mean, this is another... Kind of probably never going to happen, but if they were to have a bridge to Hope, which you can see, mm-hmm. I think it would cut down the commute to the peninsula by like like an hour, some hour and a half. Yeah. But I mean, that would be another... I mean, could you imagine that... 
accosted them like that. But man, how about that going fishing on the weekend? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, hey, if they can build the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, way it's, back it, when. I, I look at these projects and you look at now, I don't know, it's maybe more regulations or maybe there's there's the environment's different, but you look at like the Golden Gate Bridge, like the, all the bridges in New York and all these mate, like huge undertakings that were built in the 1920s, 1930s, you know? And it's no like, computers. Yeah, no, I mean, just nothing. And now it's like we can't even, to do a little tiny thing, it's like it's like a huge deal, mm-hmm. you know. Like that's Bill Walker. One thing I liked, he always said, he's he said we used to build things, now we study things. <laughs> yeah, that was one of his lines. Yeah, well, we do. Um, so what about Point McKinley? So, so I mean, there's there's a lot of ton of land over there. I mean, it's kind ton of, of land, you know. But we need to plan it out, and uh, you want to have. I mean, the cheapest mode of transportation worldwide is still water. So you want to build your industries real close to the waterfront and then your support industries back from that and then your warehousing, then your retail, and then your residential. Um, But if we don't properly plan out Point McKenzie, if we do build a bridge over there now, it's just going to be another um, um, unplanned, unorganized um, mess that you won't be able to take advantage of the economic opportunities of that location, especially the location of the state of Alaska with the rest of the Pacific yeah, Rim. I, I think, you know, if you look at the, the bridge and you know, arguments for and against, but, you know, when, when they had the uh, the truck hit the bridge there last year mm-hmm. and the fucking road shut down, I mean, nobody could nobody could get out of Anchorage. Mm-hmm. And then you had the earthquake, um, you know, we're essentially one major disaster away from just not being able to leave because mm-hmm. we have one exit out of out of Anchorage. Yep, well, that's about it. And, I mean, the, the I would economics kind of put that aside for I mean the bridge would create another outlet mm-hmm. out of um out of the city I, I I hope one day it happens I mean I think it would be a huge boon over there to for building for for residential like you know for commercial I think it'd be a big you know plus running out of space at Anchorage you know I mean the housing in Anchorage is the rents even the prices of housing well if we do industrial development over there it will demand for the bridge yeah, because no. you, you want to build, you know, close to the population, but not necessarily our backyards. And there's plenty of economic opportunity. There's plenty of land to expand over there as you develop these new industries. So, what industries are going to do? That's the reason why I'm a big proponent of the university. Um, I want to do what uh, Texas did with their petrochemical industry. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were down to nine dollars a barrel of oil here in Alaska, and I know we went lower than that all the way down to six. But when it was nine dollars a barrel, I read an article that talked about that same nine dollar barrel of oil in Alaska was worth $55 a barrel in the state of Texas because Texas developed their petrochemical industry. They, de- they had their uh, materials development um, institute within their university system. Well, that, that's the history of Alaska is we, we um, you know, when it comes to fish or oil, it tim- I mean, we, we don't, um, we export the raw material. We don't really have a lot of value adding happening here. Which keeps us in being a colony state. Yeah, well, there's a good book uh, by Stephen Haycox, my old history professor at um, UA, and it was Alaska, an American colony. <laughs> and it's basically all about the Russians and the the, the, the Brit- I and mean, all the folks that came here. And then after that, you know, with the um, the, the fish industry from Seattle. <clears throat> um, something else I wanted to ask you is, this is probably not a very popular democratic position, but you're very pro-nuclear, right? I am pro-nuclear. I mean... Not something you would associate with Democrats very, very, very often, right? The concentration of energy that you get with the amount of input is just unprecedented. Fra- France has run huge percentage of France's power is nuclear. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Germany was getting rid of their um, nuclear plants or ramping back, that's when France started expanding because they knew that Germany wasn't going to be able to, to meet their own um, energy demands. And France was there for that. Now, the Fukushima has me a little bit concerned on what happened in Japan. And that was a nuclear plant that I believe, if I remember correctly, went went 
it was privatized and they were warned about uh, uh, some of the <coughs> safety practices they have there and, and how they needed to um, um, beef that up. But uh, Well, that quake was, you know, I mean, that's something like that kind of event. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know, I, once in a hundred year type thing or maybe more. And I've been a, um, a proponent, and that's for um, America's energy needs and everything else. And here in Alaska, I've been a proponent of the Susitna Dam as well. And yeah, whatever uh, you don't, we don't really hear much about that lately. I haven't heard anything about that for year, for years. No, and uh, during the Palin administration, it got ramped up pretty well. Um, we had, that was a big topic for a long time. Yeah, Susitna Hydro. Susitna Hydro. And then when Sean Purnell became governor, he, uh, I joked around, which I'm kind of serious too about it, but uh, he came out with the watered down version and uh, with uh, 17% more input, I'm sorry, 27% more input. And with one more year of construction, we can have double the output on that dam going from, uh, I think it was uh, uh, six uh, megawatts to 12 uh, megawatts. Uh, so, so, so I'm not. You're an electrician, so you understand. So a megawatt is what, what a million is watts. Not, so, how, how many how many houses? Like, what's a megawatt? What I mean, what does that like kind of translate to? And uh, like, like, what's you know, what, I forgot how many. What's what's the other dam? Like, what's the other dam? Um, and actually, I need to say gigawatts, not megawatts. Um, I I can't remember how many. I think one megawatt can do. I forgot how many homes. I had it calculated at one time. I just don't have it off the top of my head. Cause, I mean, cause, but cause, if you figure, um, yeah, you figure. Because Chugach, I mean, I guess Chugach has a couple of dams. I mean, they have the dam down there. What's that one called there? By uh, Is it by home or by down there? Bradley Lake. Bradley Lake, yeah. How, how big, do you know how big that one is or no? No, I don't know off the top of my head. But I mean, dam, I mean, water is also essentially clean, right? I mean, you you build the dam and it's not, you know, it's not creating any emissions and it pays off dividends down the road as well i mean but once you get the, the capital costs off it, the operating costs are, are down low and it's uh, pennies per kilowatt yeah so i mean at this point so sitting height i mean that's just kind of not really a topic anymore is it yeah and if we're going to fully develop the uh, point mckenzie industrial park we need to have cheap power and that's why i've always would would have liked to seen the gas pipeline end up in point mckenzie rather than uh, down in the kiski but I understand there's some problems with that but at least we're going through there and we can tap off it if we ever do get to see a, a gas pipeline here in Alaska. So I got to say one more thing earlier. You were talking about what you just call it, an adolescent uh, environment. I'll say if I ever run again, uh, I've told people this, um, I run for the Senate twice and never really been in the building and spending time here. I've um, determined the Senate is just very boring. <laughs> I mean, the House is where the action is. Yeah. I mean, nothing against senators, but it's so slow and it's very kind of very slow paced and it's very... Everything's kind of just like low energy, you know. But the house, man, this is like this is where I belong, baby. This is especially the fourth floor. <laughs> yeah, no, the house is fun. The house is uh, very lively. Um, a lot of good debate. Um, a lot of strong personalities, and um, um, it's harder to corral forty people where um, twenty people. It's a little bit easier. I mean, do. look at the Senate too. Uh, how they organized. I mean, the election was over. They took their time. They were very methodical. They waited. Then they put out, you know, they did it right. You know, they put out a release. They have Senator Giesel president and I think a few leadership. And then they waited another four four or five days and they announced all the committee. It was just very kind of planned and and orchestrated, well thought out. Mm -hmm. Whereas you look at that house stuff, it's like, woo! (laughs) (laughs) Yep, going on for the ride. You know, I want to say something about uh, the Senate. Um, this is unprecedented to see the Senate president actually appoint um, 
minority finance members as budget subcommittee Yeah, well, chairs. Senator Wilkowski and Senator Olson, right? Yeah, and that, that just shows how people are really trying to work together, um, this, this, this legislature. And I've never seen the partnerships develop as well as I have uh, um, in my 11th year here. Do, do, you, do you think, uh, I mean, it's, it's not a secret, you guys organized, the House organized right after the budget came out, the governor's budget, um, and doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican, I think a lot of people have issues with that budget. Do you, do you think in some ways the legislature, folks who maybe typically wouldn't work together, are now somewhat aligned against the budget? Yes. I mean, that's, I think that's clear. And I think that uh, what we see going on here and throughout Alaska is you see people that are banding together also against the, the governor's proposed budget. Uh, people want to see a vibrant econ- economy. They know the importance of the Department of Fish and Game for our commercial fisheries. They understand the importance of uh, being able to have permitting offices open and through DNR so that we can get uh, permits going for new construction, for um, new economic developments, for new industries. And we need to have a vibrant university. We need to have an education system because I, I was here in the late 80s. I graduated from Diamond High School in 1984. Um, that was when I was born. Oh, that was when you were born. I'm dating you. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, um, uh, that time, you know, the late 80s is when the the uh, economy crashed here because of the price of oil. And people left the state of Alaska because there was just simply not enough uh, job opportunities or education opportunities. I was talking to, I did a podcast earlier um, in the week with Rick Halford. We were talking about recession in the 80s and how just how bad it was and how bad it got. And he was in the, you know, at the time in the Senate. And it's like I, I, nobody wants that to happen again. No, and I think if you look at that time period, you'll probably see the House and the Senate, and you'll probably see the Republicans and Democrats that were all joined together and trying so, to fix. So what's going to, I mean, we're coming up to day 90, which I think nobody thinks is going to be finished by day 90. What, what's, is it going to go to 121? And then what do you think, what do you foresee happening in the next, you know, few weeks here with the budget? Well, that's our main constitutional obligation is the appropriations and doing the budget. And I, we're on fast track right now in House Finance. Uh, we want to get that over for the Senate to give um, serious consideration. They have already been working on it while we were um, working on getting organized in the House. They already began hearings and everything else that we were able to follow. And uh, so I think that's going to make it through the Senate fairly quickly, probably within three weeks, uh, maybe a month, and then have our conference committee put together by uh, the first or second week of May and then be able to vote and get it over to the governor's desk. So what I'm hearing is um, I think – the likelihood of these constitutional amendments the governor proposed are pretty pretty low. They're going to get approved. And what I'm hearing is the governor is planning to possibly call a special session in the valley after the one twenty day one twenty one. Uh, you heard that? And what do you what do you think about a well, Wasilla, I, High, Wasilla Middle School session? Yeah, well, I was always guessing that we'll probably have a special session over the permanent fund dividend, um, depending on how things uh, shape up between the House and the Senate. And then, of course, uh, if uh, the governor takes out his red pin and uh, slashes, mm-hmm. burns the the budget down to where um, he first proposed, we're going to have to do some um, veto overrides, and that's the reason why we're trying to get to the governor. You think there's a vote? I mean, it's forty five forty five votes, right? I mean, the last time that happened, I think was par- I think maybe one on par- Parnell, or I mean, they're pretty rare. Forty five. Yeah, the la- the, I was involved with one, and that was with uh, Governor Palin. We had that at the Egan Convention Center. It was a one day special session where we. Um, overrode her rejection of the 
American Recovery Act funds for energy projects mm-hmm. in the state of Alaska. I don't know why she vetoed that. It was money coming in from the feds. Um, Everybody was like, yeah, well, we'll take that. I think it was a political thing because of the opposite. She was planning on running for um, for vice president. Mm-hmm. We didn't realize it at the time, but she was planning on running for vice president. <clears throat> or she had just run for vice president, and she was upset with uh, the outcome of the election. So, um, like, Walker did this. I mean, he called several sessions, and... The governor can call one and he can dictate the agenda, right? He can say this is so, – so feasibly he could say you're going to work on these constitutional amendments and you're going to work on this permanent fund especially. And you, and you guys can't really do anything else, right? No, unless we gavel out on that one and call ourselves back in a special so, so, session. What, so what, what, if the legisl- what if there's not the will in the legislature to pass some of these amendments but he calls a session? I mean you, I mean, you guys you guys can gav- you guys can go in and then you guys can end it when, when you want, right? Well, if you remember, he could um, just call you back, though, couldn't he? And he calls back. Yeah. Wow, it's like almost becoming like a failure of the system at that point. <laughs> well, that's the way it's set up, and um, I know that Governor Walker called us in over the percent of market value yeah. of the permanent fund, and it didn't go anywhere during the thirty-day session. Also, how frustrating was that one twenty seventeen when there was two hundred and some days of because it's supposed to be ninety, right? And normally it's more than that, but I mean you're, you're looking at double. The normal. Looking at double the normal. Um, uh, yeah, it was very frustrating. And then as soon as you got everything finalized and got everything done, we get called into another special session in October over crime. And I think at that time was uh, over crime and AGIA, Alaska Gas Inducement mm-hmm. Act. And so, um, yeah, uh, the, of course, the, no, it wasn't. It was uh, crime, and I don't remember what the other one was. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was TransCanada with the GIA Act. Um, oh, was so, that another five hundred billion million dollar boondoggle? Another five hundred million dollars. I've always uh, wondered those TransCanada folks. They're like, like, they're probably still enjoying that money. They're like, yeah. Well, they spent. They didn't get. I mean, it wasn't like they were one hundred percent reimbursed. But I mean, they got a lot of money, right? I mean, the contract and back. This is back going back what ten years or something. It was a that. serious endeavor on their part. Um, I don't know what the percentage of it is. I don't think it was much over 50%. It was if, if it was over 50%. So they, they did, uh, they did wanna, take a lot of loss I want to get a well. contract like that. Whew. Well, as long as you get come to fruition, you, you don't have a contract you guys, where you just, you just waste money. Con- can you guys give me a contract? I'll do I'll do whatever you want. Mm, no, nobody, yeah. And uh, so that's one of the things that we're looking, we're going to be looking at too this year is uh, looking at the tax credits. Um, checking to see if the tax credits that we've had in the past, because no one's ever given out cash tax, oil tax credits like we do here in the state of Alaska. Well, I mean, they 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 stopped doing the exploration cash credits, which were which from the beginning I always thought were odd because because there's no guarantee they're going to produce any oil or find any oil. See, that's the problem with those cash tax credits, is nobody does it like we did here in Alaska. I mean, tax credit is usually a credit for. Um, future profits. Yeah, liability, yeah. Yeah, and instead we're giving them cash right away. So we, I think we still need to look at those and see how effective we were. Did we get what we wanted from the money? The people who needed them, did they really go to them? And the people who didn't need them, were they able well, to I think get Well, I think most people realize those cash t- exploration credits, which are, you know, good, they're done. But they were going to speculators and folks who said, oh, well, they'll pick up half the cost. Maybe we'll find something. And most of those people weren't even going to actually produce the oil. I mean, some like Repsol found that big find, and but yeah, a lot of them were just out speculating, and um, it's 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 just an odd kind of system that, that you would pay people to do something that wouldn't necessarily result in what you well, want. Well, there's no accountability, and, and that's the thing. There's still, I think, they're still processing some of those. That's credits the thing and, you said that didn't do what you want. What the purpose of tax credits is to get the behavior that you want from an industry, and uh, to direct it. 
um, for the the betterment yeah, well, of the industry. What you do is for, you say we'll give you a tax credit on the oil you produce. So you find oil, produce oil, we'll give you a break on so many barrels or whatever. Well, you do have to have expiration before you can get into development, before you get into production. Mm-hmm. So um, so we were trying to get new competition up on the North Slope because we couldn't just rely on the big three to because they weren't um, – we weren't able to incentivize their behavior to to look at new exploration, but now that we got new competition up there, now you see a lot more well, I mean, activity. Repsol and E and I are two examples of you know, like they're big companies. They're they're not as big as Conoco or Exxon or BP, but you know Repsol Spanish, E and I is Italian. They're they're major. They're all over the world, and um, E and I is still operating up there, and they've they've been producing oil. And Repsol had that big find, which now you got Oil Search actually is a new company that took over the Armstrong and the Repsol project, but. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, and Armstrong was a good example of that as well. Yeah, another one, yeah. Well, Representative Tuck, I want to thank you for sitting down. This is... Uh, I like the office here. You got a, you got a really unique window here that like looks right in into the entrance of the Capitol almost. I watch everybody come in and out. You should get like a... Open the window, throw a little um, speaker out there and play some... Maybe some salsa music. Every day you could have a different theme. What I should do is hook this microphone out there and then... <laughs> we should. We could do, we could do a live podcast out the window. and tell people, hey, this is Representative Tuck and I'm talking to you folks mm. well thanks again for doing this and uh, i'm sure we'll see you out there uh, in the district thanks for having me jeff and, uh, appreciate one of your, it one I'll of your great meetings i look forward to seeing you out there all right i'll see you around percent i'm talking folks if you want to do a podcast or have any ideas for podcasts let me know and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next time Land,